Uh, let's ask God to help us now with his word. Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that the Lord Jesus appointed apostles and entrusted uh, to them his gospel. We thank you that through their words we can hear our Lord Jesus. Now, gracious Father, we pray that you would help us grow in our understanding of their role in our lives today and knowing that uh, you would make us zealous to preserve the truth that they have passed on to us and to shape our belief and actions by it. And help me to speak your word truthfully and clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, a building that uh, shifts from its foundations is not always as dramatically adrift as this house was floating down the Manning River in the March 2021 floods. Uh, but a building that shifts from its foundation is actually always in danger of collapse and a danger to those inhabiting it. Today we come to look at the foundation of the church as we look at the last of the descriptors of the church in the Nicene Creed, apostolic. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, unusually for us, we're having a series of doctrinal sermons based on this summary of what Christians believe, the Nicene Creed. And it is unusual because normally we work through books of the Bible and we will be returning to that, returning to Matthew's Gospel in three weeks' time. But having started the Creed last year, we're now coming to its end and we come today to our confession of the Church as apostolic. This is saying that we believe the one Church of the God we confess in the Creed, Father, Son and Spirit, is founded on the gospel the apostles preach. Like a building's foundation, their ministry by the design of the Lord Jesus, the only builder of the church, is the church's beginning and their teaching gives the church its shape and stability. Their teaching in the New Testament and the Old Testament read in the light of the gospel they preach is the authority in God's church and being included in God's church is dependent on accepting the apostles' words as Christ's words, as God's word. And as the foundation uh, to move from what the apostles preach, the apostles' gospel, is disastrous. Now there's a lot there and we're going to unpack that by answering three questions. Who are the apostles? What is their role, or better, what is the role given them by the Lord Jesus and thirdly, how is that role exercised today? And we will also look at some attempts to undermine or marginalise the apostles' authority in the church to shift the church from its foundation. Who are the apostles? Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the 12. The apostles are first of all those 12 named disciples whom our Lord appointed, as you heard, to both be with him and to be sent out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. That is, he appointed them to extend his ministry, learned in his presence beyond his own physical presence. And he deliberately names them apostles 
and their ministry and authority is found in that name. Apostle means messenger, and so their role is to take Jesus' message to others. They carry his words to the world, and as apostles they come with what he says, not their own ideas, not what they say. And where they're faithful messengers, where messengers, where they bring Jesus' words, what he has given them to say, their message comes with Jesus' authority and people are listening to Jesus. Now, we understand that messengers come with the authority of the author of the message, don't we? If, for example, your mother might have said or used to say, or your, sorry, your sister comes and says, Mum says, come to tea now. You know that if you keep mucking around doing whatever you're doing, it won't be your sister you will be in trouble with, but your mother. Or if you ignore a summons, a message from the courts to appear before them, it won't be the individual policewoman or man or who delivers the court's message who puts the summons in your hand that you're dealing with, is it? It's actually the courts you're dealing with. And if you fail to heed the summons, it's the courts that you will have to answer to, not this or that individual policeman. Messengers, in delivering their message, speak with the authority of the author of the message who sent them. The apostles are Jesus' messengers. They're equipped by being with Jesus, taught by Jesus, witnessing Jesus' ministry, being sent by Jesus to be Jesus' messengers and to have his authority in faithfully delivering his message. And you notice that the Lord Jesus deliberately appoints 12. That's the same number of apostles then as there are tribes of Israel. In appointing 12, Jesus is saying his church is the new and at the same time continuing people of God, whose membership will now not be limited to physical descendants of Abraham, but is for all those believing the message the apostles, Jesus' messengers, will bring. And the apostles are aware of the importance of that number, aren't they? Uh, that's why uh, we can read in Acts 1 that one of the first things they do after Judas the betrayer dies is to act by prayer and casting lots to find another apostle to take his place, to make up the number 12, Matthias. But when we're talking apostles, those appointed by Jesus, trained by Jesus, commissioned by Jesus, we usually include Paul, a 13th as well, whose call and appointment as the apostle to the Gentiles by the Lord Jesus is recorded three times in Acts and spoken of by Paul in Galatians 1. Let me read one of those accounts in Acts. Paul's travelling to Damascus to persecute believers. He sees a great Light, and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He asks, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord replies, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you... To them, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of God, power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and to share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul is appointed and sent by Jesus. 
The unique nature of Paul's calling and commissioning means that he's joined to the twelve, distinguished with them by Jesus' deliberate training and commissioning from that wider group whom Paul can also call apostles in his list of witnesses in the resurrection. So there is a clearly distinguished group called the apostles in the Gospels, the twelve, with whom we include Paul. And it is to the ministry of this group the creed is referring when it says the church is apostolic. So what's their role? Well, as I've said, it's to be Jesus' messengers. And we see in the gospel that there are three components to the message the Lord Jesus entrusts to his apostles. Witness, teaching and declaring Jesus' forgiveness and warning of Jesus' judgment. So firstly, they are entrusted with the message of all that they had seen and heard from Jesus. They were to speak of all that they had witnessed. After the resurrection, the Lord Jesus said to them, This is what's written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So the apostles are to be like witnesses in court testifying before all nations to what they themselves had seen and heard while they were with Jesus, particularly Jesus' death and resurrection. And in making them witnesses, we see here Jesus also gives them the gospel, that he, the Christ, crucified and risen, has authority to give forgiveness of sins to all who repent and believe. That forgiveness, you heard, is in his name, that is, by his authority. Now, Jesus appointing the apostles as witnesses is important. You see, the message of Jesus, as I hope you know, is not just a philosophy or an ethical teaching or more good ideas about how people can live the good life. It's actually about events, the crucifixion and resurrection, things that have happened, things what God has done in the world in his son Jesus. It's only by being witnesses of what the apostles proclaim, speaking of what, in the words of John in 1 John, we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have observed and touched with our hands. It's only by being witnesses of what they proclaim that their hearers, us, can know these things are true, be assured that they have really happened. You see, God's very kind to us. We know that the apostles know the things they speak of in the same way we know anything about our world. And that means that every one of us can assess the truthfulness of their message for ourselves. We don't need special skills or training, just as they didn't need special training to know, for example, the difference between the living and the dead. The apostles are firstly witnesses, entrusted with the message of all that they've seen and heard. And with that appointment as witnesses, they are also, in Peter's words in Acts 10, commanded to preach to the people and to testify that the Lord Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Secondly, as Jesus' messengers, they are to make disciples of Jesus from all nations by teaching all 
that Jesus has commanded them. Familiar verses. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. It is disciples of Jesus, notice, that they're to make, not disciples of themselves. And they'll do that by teaching all Jesus has taught, not their own teachings. The apostles' teaching only has authority to command obedience as it is Jesus' teaching. And by teaching what Jesus taught, people who listened to them, believed them, would be listening to Jesus, believing Jesus, obeying Jesus. And thirdly, as Jesus' messengers, they have authority to bring Jesus' forgiveness to those who believed in him by believing the message the apostles brought and to warn those who would not respond to Jesus' message of the judgment to come. After his resurrection, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit if you forgive the sins of any. They are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. As Jesus is sent by the Father to speak the Father's words in the world, so that listening to Jesus, we are listening to the Father, to God. So, verse 21, the apostles are sent by Jesus to speak Jesus' words. And He equips them for that task by giving them the Spirit who will bring to their remembrance all that Jesus has spoken and guide them into all truth by taking what is Jesus and declaring it to the apostles. In fact, as you heard in Luke 24, all the apostles' ministry is to be sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit. Theirs is a witness, a teaching, a proclamation for which Jesus equips them with his Spirit both the capacity to teach Jesus' message truthfully and to persevere in being Jesus' messengers in a hostile world is the gift of Christ through his spirit. So that in reality, the work of the apostles is the continuation of the work of Christ in being the saviour of the world. It is as Jesus sent one speaking Jesus' words, which are God's words in the power of the spirit, that the apostles' words bring the salvation and judgment of God, bring it into the present in the lives of their hearers. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. As being forgiven by God is so important, let's pause to ask, to whom do the apostles, witnessing to Jesus, bringing Jesus' message, Proclaim forgiveness of sins. Now the New Testament's actually very clear. Forgiveness, being spared condemnation in God's judgment, is given to those who believe the gospel the apostles preach, that Christ has died for our sins and been raised to life. And so believing that gospel, heed the gospel call to repent, that is, to change their mind about God and Jesus, and stop resisting Jesus' rule as Lord, their Lord. Listen to John as he speaks of the purpose of the gospel that he has written, the purpose, that is, of his witness. He says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing 
you may have life in his name. Or Paul, on what believing the gospel he preaches, does. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Believing the gospel saves. It spares from death and judgment. It brings peace with God. Those who believe the message the apostles bring, the gospel they preach, are those whose sins the apostles declare forgiven. And this is a sure forgiveness. For as Jesus' messengers, they are declaring Jesus' forgiveness. And the risen Jesus is the judge on the last day. He is the one who has the authority to forgive sins once and for all. Forgiven by the apostles through believing the gospel, we are forgiven forever. Now, whose sins do the apostles retain? That is, are declared by them to still be there to receive the punishment they deserve. Well, it's all who persevere in their sin, all who refuse to repent and confess Jesus as Lord. This is how the apostle John puts it. For God so loved the world, in this, God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. Now why are those who don't believe condemned already? Well, it's because they don't believe so that they can keep on doing the evil they love. This is the judgment, that light has come into the world, but people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Who are condemned? those who don't believe and they don't believe because they want to keep on doing the evil they have come to love. Now, the judgment is also certain. This judgment that the apostles declare is also certain. For the risen Jesus has the authority to judge. And the apostles are pronouncing in Jesus' message the judgment of Jesus, which will be the judgment of the last day. The apostles are Jesus' messengers, appointed by him to witness to all that he has said and done, to teach all that Jesus has commanded, and to declare Jesus' forgiveness and Jesus' judgment in the present. Now, what can we say of the apostles' role? Well, the first thing we have to say is that Jesus' appointment of the apostles is great good news, isn't it? Through Jesus' appointing, training, equipping with his spirit and commissioning of the apostles to bring his message with his authority, we today hear in their words the Lord Jesus speaking to us. By his sending them into the world, all the world, not just those in first century Palestine, hear Jesus. It's by the ministry of the apostles we become followers of Jesus. By the ministry of the apostles, we know we are forgiven. It's by the ministry of the apostles that we can be shaped together as Jesus' people with a common faith and common life. And their role, their ministry as Jesus' messengers 
is unique and unrepeatable. You see, no one else can have the role of the twelve appointed to be with Jesus, to be witness to all that he has said and done on earth. Because Jesus will not come to earth again in the same way, because his ministry, death and resurrection are once for all time, the ministry of the apostles cannot be repeated. There will never again be those equipped to bear their witness, to testify of what they have seen and heard of Jesus on earth. Paul's appointment as apostle doesn't undermine this uniqueness, for he to whom the risen Jesus appeared describes himself in 1 Corinthians as last of all, one born out of time, one whose circumstances will never be repeated. And you see, to be disciples of Jesus, to be saved, we need no other apostles. You see, the apostles have already witnessed to Jesus, to the events of his life. In their ministry, we know all that can be known of Jesus in his time on earth. And it's through their teaching that we can learn all, all, everything that Jesus has commanded his followers to do. And believing the gospel Jesus sent them to preach, we are forgiven fully. We need no other apostles. The apostles appointed by Jesus stand alone and their ministry, unique in its content as eyewitness, unrepeatable, is now the foundation of God's church. There can be no other foundation for it's only in their teaching that the teaching of Jesus can be known. It's only in the verdict of the gospel they preach that the verdict of Jesus the judge on our lives can be known. It's only through believing their message, receiving it as the message of Jesus, that one can be forgiven and become a member of Jesus' church, of the church of God. Their word as Jesus' word has final authority amongst those Jesus gathers by that same gospel. And the foundational nature of the ministry and authority of the apostles in their witness to Jesus has been recognised from the beginning of the church. It was by believing that the apostles spoke the word of God in speaking of Jesus as Lord and Christ that the church first began to grow. Do you remember the question, those convicted of their sin, of rejecting God's Christ and sharing in his crucifixion, asked in response to the first Christian preaching in Acts 2. You see it there, what must we do? What should we do? That is, what should we do to be saved? Now that is a question only God can answer. For it's God's son they have shared in rejecting and killing It is God's wrath that threatens them. But Peter, notice, answers it confidently. Repent and be baptised, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, why would anyone do what Peter says and many did, 3,000? Only if they believed that the apostles were speaking God's word spoke with God's authority in offering God's forgiveness. It was by believing that the word the apostles preached was the word of God that people were incorporated into Christian congregations 
from the very beginning. This was true of the Thessalonian believers who when they received the gospel Paul preached welcomed it, he says, not as a human message but as it truly is the word of God. So when the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesian believers, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself at the cornerstone. Paul is actually just making an observation about the role of the apostles that would have been self-evident to his hearers because it was in the words of the apostles and prophets that they had heard Jesus preaching peace to them and believing Jesus speaking through the apostles. Well, they had been built on that foundation into a dwelling for God's spirit. They knew that. The apostles as bearers of the message of Jesus who come with the authority of Jesus in the power of the spirit are the foundation of the church. Now, how do they continue to exercise that foundational ministry in the church today? Well, as the foundation, their ministry is meant to continue. It's meant to be built upon, not moved from and not replaced. So how do we keep building on that foundation? How do they keep being the foundation for believers at all times? Knowing the role the Lord Jesus had given them, the apostles made provision for the continuity of their teaching, of their gospel in the face of the many emerging challenges to the gospel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus had given them, challenges evident in the writings of the New Testament. So they sought to entrust the gospel to faithful people who could teach it and pass it on faithfully. Paul writes to Timothy, what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men, faithful people who will be able to teach others also. And they had their testimony and instruction written down, didn't they? Either in gospels or letters. Gospels and letters kept by the churches that received them because the authority of the apostles was recognised from the beginning. So we continue to receive the apostles' ministry through the New Testament and those whom Christ has given to his church to teach it in local gatherings of his people. And the church is apostolic as it listens to and conforms its belief and practice to the apostles' teaching in their writings. The apostles continue to be the foundation of the church as we read, understand, teach the New Testament and the Old Testament read in the light of the New Testament as the word of God. And we don't do this as isolated individuals, but as people with our varying gifts in the community of God's people, sharing together in the work of understanding and teaching with all God's people, not just in our own day, but across the ages. You see, it remains the case that to be a believer in Jesus is to hear the gospel the apostles preached as the gospel of God, the gospel that continues as the power of God to save. Faith comes through the message of Christ. Oh, we become Christians today are saved just like the first believers by thinking that when we are believing that gospel, the apostles witness to what they had seen and heard, we are believing God and receiving God's forgiveness. 
to be a disciple today is like all disciples since Jesus ascended, to be taught by the apostles all the Lord Jesus has taught them. And it remains the case that only through their witness can we know Jesus. For the church to be apostolic is to have its belief and life ruled by the teaching of the apostles as we have received it in the writings of the New Testament. And that means we have to be ready to defend the continuing place of the apostles as the foundation of the church in the life of Christian congregations today, ready to contend, as Jude says, for the faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all. And we do need to be ready to contend because there are major challenges to the authority of the apostles in the church. And you can think of them as kind of taking three forms. So there are those who want to relativise the authority of the apostles by claiming that the faith transmitted in the New Testament is just one form of early Christianity. And that was the view popularised by Dan Brown in his work of fiction, The Da Vinci Code. Then there are those, secondly, who want to relativise the authority of the apostles' teaching in the New Testament by supplementing it with other equivalent authority. And that's the position of the Roman Catholic Church. And thirdly, there are those who want to just reject the apostles' authority. And that's the position of those who want to treat the apostles' witness as merely human words, reflections of the culture and understanding of their time. And that's the position of those, say, who want to reject the New Testament teaching on men and women or sexuality. Now, I'm only going to deal briefly with the Roman Catholic position, uh, for they claim to be apostolic, in fact, to have an unbroken connection with the apostles, and yet their teaching actually undermines the authority of the apostles in the church. But I have put brief notes on the other two positions at the end of the transcripts. Now, the Roman Catholics uh, claim that their bishops are successors of the apostles. And by this, they're not saying that the bishops are just stewards of the apostles' teaching delivered to the church, following the apostles by teaching what the apostles have taught. No, they claim their bishops succeed to the office of the apostles and possess their authority in themselves. So this is from the Catholic Catechism. The church continues to be taught, sanctified and guided by the apostles until Christ returns through their successors in the pastoral office, the College of Bishops, in union with the successor of Peter. The church teaches that the bishops, by divine institution, have taken the place of the apostles in, as pastors of the church in such wise that whoever listens to them is listening to Christ and whoever despises them despises Christ and him who sent Christ. Now, this Roman position undermines the authority of the New Testament, of the apostles' word, which is the word of Christ, by relativising it. It becomes just one source amongst many, alongside the tradition that the church is custodian of and which is interpreted by the Pope and the bishops. And it undermines the authority of the New Testament by, in effect, subordinating it to the teaching of the living apostolate, the bishops, who are not just stewards of its teaching, but have, as occupying the office of apostle, equal authority. And the outcome of this teaching is an accumulation of power in the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church. 
And it lies behind the view that you only need to believe what the church says, not read and understand the New Testament for yourself to be saved. In effect, it replaces relating to Jesus through believing his message entrusted to the apostles with relating to the church through believing the teachings of the bishops. And let me say it's a position which is demonstrably untrue for their teaching is in many places at odds with the teaching of the apostles in the New Testament, whether that's in relation to Mary and devotion, transubstantiation or ministers as sacrificing priests and more. The one holy Catholic Church can have no other foundation than the message our Lord Jesus entrusted once and for all time to his messengers, the apostles whom he appointed, and receiving that message as it is the word of God. And local churches like us have to make sure our life is built on that same foundation. Now, how do we do that? Well, it actually starts with every one of us being faithful to the teaching of the apostles ourselves and being zealous to have nothing to do with false teaching. Now, notice this. Paul puts the responsibility on you, on the hearers. Don't despise prophesying, prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The responsibility, says Paul, is on you, the hearers. So how can we test all things? Well, it's by knowing and understanding the truth the apostles teach ourselves. And there are many ways, of course, in growing in knowledge, reading our Bibles, with or without aids like weekly devotions, participating in a Bible study with other believers, and yes, listening to sermons, and always being alert to what you listen to so that you can test all things. Oh, and yes, being determined to hold on to what's good, to change your mind when you learn truth. Oh, and to stay away from every form of evil, to have nothing to do with any teaching not grounded in God's word, however appealing. And that means that each of us must be alert to the sins of our own hearts that might make us want to hear another, a different word, a word that, say, might license our greed or our indifference or our sexual immorality. John tells us in his second letter that we should not support false teaching in any way. And for people who've been brought up to think that Christians are nice and inclusive, John's actually a bit shocking, really, isn't he? Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and do not greet him, for the one who greets him shares in his evil works. You shouldn't even greet these false teachers. So how can you think of staying in a church where they have teaching authority? It's the responsibility of every believer to hold fast to the apostolic witness and teaching and reject all others. And if we want the faithful teaching of the gospel to continue, we must make provision for its continuation amongst us. That will mean praying for the Lord to give us faithful teachers. Oh, supporting, supporting 
people in traineeships, supporting training for men and women in faithful theological study so that they can be equipped to teach God's word, making sure that those who are set aside to teach regularly have an adequate living. Oh yes, and continuing to be careful to ensure that all our office holders subscribe to the teaching of the apostles. The continuation of the witness and teaching of the apostles amongst us, which is our life through which we relate to our Saviour, is up to us. But to be apostolic is more than being faithful to the content of the apostles' witness, to the message our Lord gave them. It's also being faithful to our Lord's intent in giving us apostles, and that is that he should have disciples from all nations through their ministry, through the preaching of the gospel they preached and the teaching of what our Lord Jesus had taught them. You see, preaching the gospel, the, the message he gave to his messengers, is the way the Lord Jesus continues to build his church. And sharing the gospel they preached, that Christ died for our sins, was buried, has been raised by God from the dead and is now the exalted living Lord, sharing the gospel they preach, not some other message, is the way you show you really believe it is the power of God for salvation, that faith comes through hearing that message, that forgiveness is given to all who believe that message, the message the apostles have delivered in the name of Christ who equipped them and sent them out into the world. Being apostolic by being faithful to the authority of the word, the messengers of Christ, his apostles, taught and preached and sharing in their mission to make disciples of all nations. Well, that might look weird, right? It might look even impolite to your neighbours, but it is actually good because it honours Christ by believing that he will build his church his way through exalting his word as the power of God to save us, bringing forgiveness and judgment. It is good. And it's good for us because it equips us to be and keep growing as Jesus' disciples and it is good for the world for it allows them to hear the word of Christ and so come themselves to believe in him come to belong to his church, those forgiven by his grace, those who can know him now for themselves in his word, know his love and kindness. Oh yes, and those who will know him forever, living in the new Jerusalem, whose foundation, as you heard, is the 12 apostles. And there is no other foundation of the church of God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we pray in your message, in your mercy, uh, that uh, we would heed the word that our Lord Jesus gave his apostles to preach. Now, Father, we pray in your mercy that we would know that in listening to them, in heeding their word, we are listening to the Lord Jesus and that the promises we receive in the gospel and the forgiveness we receive in believing the gospel 
are the promises and forgiveness of our Lord Jesus, who reigns over all. Uh, We thank you that our Lord appointed the apostles and we pray in your mercy that we would be faithful in preserving the truth of their message, in heeding it ourselves and being Jesus' disciples by doing all that he has commanded them to teach us and by sharing it with others, knowing it is the power of God to save brings life in a world of death. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.